0: it is uh this is really good uh to be a part of a church that can admit that we're not really good all the time uh that that we're not doing good and we aren't being good uh all the time and our hope is not in ourselves our hope is in jesus uh, that is true, and I'm just thankful uh for the way each of you um, love and serve and care for one another uh it is it is good. Uh, this past week was the 77th anniversary of the end of World War II uh, with the surrender of the Nazis. And World War II certainly was one of the darkest periods in world history. Millions dead through war and the unspeakable atrocities of concentration camps and the Holocaust, evil and sin were on full display on many fronts. In the face of of that kind of sin and evil, as human beings, we desire justice. we don 't want to see evil and sin when we want to see justice. And nations who could look at that kind of sin and evil and just kind of shrug their shoulders like it 's not a big deal would not be considered good. We knew that evil needed to be restrained and punished, and so we, among many others, joined into a world war, and later that same year of the surrender. The first international war crimes trial in history took place, revealing some of the most horrible atrocities committed by the Nazis and holding many of them accountable for what they had done. Well, last week, we were in week two of our six-week series that we're calling Gospel Essentials. The title last week was, We Are, and the central point was this, we are sinners, all of us, accountable to God and unable to save ourselves. And we noted that our offense was especially offensive because of the reality of what Gospel Essential number one was. We looked at Revelation 4 in week one and saw this to be true, that the gospel begins with a God who is the holy, almighty, eternal creator on the throne and worthy of our worship. So that's one and two. That's where we've been today. We're hitting Gospel Essential number three. The title for today, God Judges. So we've done God is, we are, and now God judges. Here's the central point today, quite simple. God judges justly, pouring out wrath on sinners. As the holy, almighty, eternal creator on the throne and worthy of worship, looking at people like us, sinners, all of us, Right? And remember how we said it last week, it's all of us and it's all of us. Right? All of us and all of us. We're sinners before God. We're accountable to God and we're unable to save ourselves. Our sin and our evil are on display in many fronts. And in the face of this kind of sin and evil, we too desire justice. We're all guilty of cosmic treason, a God who would look at the kind of sin and evil that exists in all of us and in all of us and just shrug his shoulders like it's not a big deal, that would not be a good God. That is not a God worthy of worship because that's not, that's not a God who is good and just. And so while speaking about the judgment of God might initially seem like a terrible topic, the reality is that the judgment of God is necessary. It is good, because we want and we need and we have a God who will not look at the face of sin and evil and shrug his shoulders as though it's not a big deal. It is, and so it is good news that we have a God who is the judge. So today, we're back in the book of Romans, uh, and we're going to look at the, tail, or at the front end of a passage that we looked at the tail end of last week. Last week we looked at Romans 3, 9 through 20, and this week we look at Romans 1, 18 through 2, verse 5. As I read this, I want you to be attentive to listening for the descriptions of our sinfulness The conclusion of this whole section is what we looked at last week. We're all sinners, all of us. And I want you to listen to how we hear of our sinfulness and also of the wrath and judgment of God in this passage today. If you're able to, would you stand as we read the very word of God? We need help. Let's pray. God, we, we don't take this lightly, that You are a God who not only has revealed Yourself in what You've created, we do see so much beauty and so much good in what has been created. And we thank You for revealing Your eternal power, Your divine nature. But I thank You too that You have sought to make it clear that that's not all we need to know of you. That's not all we need to know about ourselves. And so I thank you for what your word says about who you are and who we are. And I pray that you would make more of that clear, that we might better understand, believe, know, that you would soften our hearts to believe the gospel and respond rightly as we look at a sobering passage today. Thank you that your Holy Spirit was at work to inspire Paul to write every one of these words, that your Holy Spirit was at work in me as I wrestled with them and prepared a sermon on them this week, and that you would be at work by your Spirit now to build up your church for our good and for your glory, for the sake of even many others in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, this is the word of the Lord, for "...in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature." they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Amen. You can be seated. Well, you know that this is abnormal for our church to not be just going from the beginning of a book of the Bible to the end, and there's challenges that come with that, and there's a reason that we normally do that. But We're breaking from that for this six-week series, and I was reminded as I was doing that that I have previously preached, about six years ago, preached through the book of Romans. And this section that we're looking at today, when I preached it before, I broke it into three different sermons. Okay, But what I'm not going to do today is preach for an hour and a half and pack three sermons into one. There we looked at the detail, rightly, but today we're kind of getting a bit of a bigger picture. And as we did that, that allowed me to see something that I think I probably missed when I preached it six years ago. And that is to look at the bookends of this passage. From 118 to 25, I want you to notice something that we see in verse 18 of chapter 1 and verse 5. Of chapter 2. Notice that they both speak of God's wrath and God's judgment. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness. Then you skip ahead to the very last verse of the passage, chapter 2, verse 5, and it says this. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So there's a movement in the passage from the wrath of God for sin in the here and now to a a, a wrath of God and the judgment of God for sin in the future, on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So we begin in chapter 1 by looking at the ways in which the wrath of God against sinners is revealed in the here and now. Okay? So verses 18 to 20, I think especially, show how God's wrath is revealed against the unrighteous who suppress clearly revealed truth. So a couple of points that he's making there in verses 18 to 20 One is that that there are clearly revealed truths that God, and the theological term for it is general revelation, that through what God has revealed in his creation, he has revealed enough that we are responsible for, without excuse for, our sinful rebellion against him. Because we can know just from creation something about the eternal power and divine nature of God. Yet, Like we talked about last week, we are all of us sinful, right? And accountable to God and unable to save ourselves. And therefore, it's just that what it says there in verse 18 is true that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God is not some like momentary outburst of anger because he's just got frustrated and impatient. The wrath of God is a calculated anger against sin and sinners from a God who is perfectly holy and good and just. And the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Okay, so the problem is not that God has not revealed the truth. The problem is that God has revealed the truth and we have, in our sin, suppressed the truth. Trying to keep it down. We're sinners by nature and by choice. We don't want to worship the holy, almighty creator of all things who is on the throne and worthy of worship. We like it when we're on the throne. right? We like it when we get our way and we get upset when we don't get our way. We, we, we like to think that we're pretty good. We are sinners by nature and by choice. And we don't agree with gospel essential number two on our own, naturally. We don't believe that we are sinners, all of us, accountable to God and unable to save ourselves. On our own, we just don't. We naturally don't believe that. We suppress the truth about who God is. We suppress the truth about who we are before God. And the result, God's wrath. And this is just again. We don't want a God, do we? Who would look into sin and evil and just kind of shrug his shoulders or turn his face like it's not really a big deal. That wouldn't be a good and just God. So that's verses 18 to 20. Then, I think there's this longer section of verses 21 to 32. So taking us through the rest of chapter 1, where we see God's wrath revealed by giving foolish exchangers, over or up to all kinds of sin. There's a phrase, you maybe picked up on it, or maybe even in your Bible you've already underlined these things. I like to, in my Bible, underline repeated things, because repeated things help us to understand what the author is emphasizing. So then when I'm communicating the Word of God to somebody else, I want to make sure I'm emphasizing what God intended to emphasize. And there's two phrases that are each repeated three times. I had to just look at my fingernails. Did I have three up? Yes, I have three up. <laughs> two, two phrases that are each repeated three times. So three and three, okay? And it's the phrase, what we as humans are doing, three times it is exchanging something, and every time it's a foolish exchange. And three times, the phrase, God gave them up to, or God gave them over to, is repeated. Do you see that in the passage? Let's look. Verses 21 to 23 first. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And here's the first exchange. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God. Remember, that's what we talked about in week one. God is, who God is. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That's a foolish exchange, isn't it? And that's exchange number one. We have been had the eternal, holy God revealed to us, and instead of worshiping him, we turn and worship all sorts of other things that he has made. Doesn't make sense. It's a foolish exchange. Then, in verse 24, we get the first God gave them up. Therefore, so it's connected, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. So, because of this foolish exchange by which we choose not to worship God, but to instead worship that which God has created, He gives us up to, the lusts of their hearts to impurity and the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And then there's another foolish exchange. Verse 25, Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Second, foolish exchange. It is foolish to worship a lizard instead of the Lord. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to serve money instead of serving the Creator. So, what happens? Verse 26, God gave them up number two. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And then he explains what some of these dishonorable passions look like in pretty graphic terms. There's another exchange happening here in verse 26. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. This is maybe the longest section in the Bible uh, addressing the topic of homosexuality and nowhere in Scripture do we see that looked upon as something good and ordained by God and something to be honored and celebrated, only we see it in this kind of way, something that is dishonorable sinful. Verse 28, a third God gave them up. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. And here's what he's giving them up to. A debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Now, You you can read through part of this and be like, all right, not guilty. This is about other people. Keep reading. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil disobedient to parents foolish faithless heartless ruthless there's 21 listed there i counted them right that's a long list unless we would be people that are quick to kind of just point our fingers at here here's here's what sin looks like let's read through the rest of the list right a long sin list, a wide-ranging list, a list that doesn't allow us to just point fingers at others without seeing a few pointing back at ourselves. And then there's one verse that really kind of ties all of this section together. Verse 32, the last verse of the chapter. Though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. Our sin makes us deserving of death. Yet sin is not only committed, but also often just approved of. Do we see this? Like, does this seem like, oh, this was just the first century thing, and we've totally gotten over this now, right? I can see why Paul had to write this to Rome in their day, but it doesn't really apply to us. Not at all. Do we we see this? Does this describe the world that we are living in? Yes. So, I want to make a connection just because I don't want to just assume we can see it. I want to make a connection between all of this and the first phrase at the beginning. The wrath of God. Verse 18 started this section by saying, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the unrighteousness and ungodliness. Remember how verse 18 started. The wrath of God being revealed. And then he goes on to talk about all these exchanges and all of this God giving them up. What's the connection? I would say it's this. That part of the way in which God's wrath is experienced by the unrighteous is when God gives them up to do in their lust whatever they want to do. Part of the consequence or penalty or the wrath of God for sin in the here and now, is not like a lightning bolt coming from heaven to strike dead the sinners, but a God giving them up to just, all right, then have at it. Think about it this way. A parent who gives their kid candy to be enjoyed, a really good gift. Amen, kids, right? Candy is good. And if your parents give you that, they give you that as a good gift. But you then as a child have a choice. How am I going to use that candy? Because probably it comes with some instructions because your parents love you and they like to sleep. In <laughs> a kid having a choice to honor and thank their parents, they can choose to enjoy that as instructed, as a good gift from their parents, or they could take the good gift given to them by their parents and misuse it by eating as much as they want dishonoring their parents, but also in dishonoring their parents, what are they doing probably? Hurting themselves. Now, parents could stop and reprimand them right there, but one way to handle this as a parent would be, well, I'm just going to give you up to it. You just have at it. You, you, you think that's going to be good for you to just eat endless supplies of candy and cookies and ice cream? There will be consequences for that, maybe not immediately, but eventually you will feel them. That's something like I think what God is doing here. You could put other examples in there, you could use the example of somebody in their greed seeking the pleasure of just like, I just want to buy something, and there is this momentary pleasure that comes with buying something, or many somethings, or a really big something, and then there's the natural consequence of debt. There is, there is the desire to, to drink to the point of drunkenness, because that will do something in me that I desire to have done in me, but then that leads to a hangover and other consequences later on. There is this desire because I have these things pent up inside me. If I just vent and say these things that I'm feeling, maybe I'm going to feel better. And then later that leads to broken relationships. I think there's lots of examples that we could use, but God's wrath and judgment in the here and now sometimes comes when God just gives people up to do what they want to do, that they might experience the consequences themselves. That's what it says at the end of verse 27. Receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error, a taste of God's wrath before his full fury of his wrath poured out in the day of judgment, experienced in the here and now through what we might call natural consequences. So, a point of application before we turn to chapter 2 and just look at those five verses we live in a world filled with sin and evil. And as we try to process it, there can be a temptation to think, well, people are sinning and getting away with it all the time. They're not being punished for it. People are living however they want to live, and it seems like it's working out just great for them. And so maybe there's a temptation to think, well, maybe sin isn't all that bad. But if we believe this, we are gravely mistaken. Part of God's judgment in the here and now might not look like that lightning bolt of judgment, but it might look like people who seem externally to be enjoying a life of sin. But what we don't often see is the misery behind the facade. We see what looks like a liberated sex life, but we don't see the emotional pain and shame that that person lives with. We see what looks like a guy who was the life of the party, but we don't see how an addiction is covering up a battle with depression. We see what looks like a successful person, but we fail to see how envy causes them to never be content. We see what looks like a disobedient kid having more fun and getting away with it in school all the time. He's having way more fun than the rule followers, but we fail to see The way in which that kid just feels really lost and really craves some good authority. We must keep in mind that sinners are not getting away with it. But sometimes God's judgment is coming by Him allowing them to just be given up to it. We're sinners by nature and by choice. And sometimes God's judgment in the here and now looks like Him letting us have at it. Letting our master sin just take charge and rule. We live in a world where Things that were once condemned are not just accepted but even celebrated. We must not allow ourselves to get to a place where we just shrug our shoulders at sin. It's super easy in this world to be desensitized to it. But let's not be people who quickly just shrug our shoulders at sin. We don't want to be people who look at evil and call it good. And praise God that we have a God who will not do that. He will not look at sin or evil and shrug his shoulders, or look at it and call it good. No, we have a God who judges. Sometimes his wrath is felt in the here and now, in the present, and and for sure we know it will come in the future. And that's what we see in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. So, let's look at those last five verses. I should point out, if we have been looking at the whole letter, really the the focus of what paul is saying in 118 through 32 the section we've gone over so far paul was the target for that was pagan gentiles okay their their biggest problem was that even though they had seen god he had revealed himself in creation they were rejecting god and they were living sinfully in all kinds of different ways making all sorts of foolish exchanges and God giving them over to do what they wanted to do. And so Paul is really addressing them here. And those who, like Paul, are Jewish would have been probably listening to this part of the letter up until this point and saying, Yes, Paul, you tell those dirty Gentiles, you tell them what they deserve. And then whoever's reading this letter to the church gets to chapter two and the crowd gets quiet. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And the religious people who compared themselves to those dirty pagan Gentiles and thought they were doing just fine, are now being told that you too stand before God condemned. Because you're doing the very same things. Verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. right? And the Jewish people would have said, yes, it is right that the judgment of God fall upon those who are transgressing the law, who are rebelling against God. Verse 3, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, That you will escape the judgment of God. Just asking them flat out, like, did you think you were going to get away with it? You think that God is just going to pour out his judgment on other people and you're going to be just fine? Why? Verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? One of the reasons that they assume that they're going to be just fine is probably because of their religious heritage. I've got Abraham's blood in my veins. I've got the law. I know that they're sinners and they don't, they don't follow the law. They don't have the law. But I've got the law and I've tried my whole life to keep the law. And so far... Maybe they haven't experienced the wrath of God to the point of, like, that some others have, and so they're comparing themselves to the dirty pagan Gentiles, like, well, I'm doing fine, and they've seen God be patient with them, God's forbearance and kindness to them. God's been so kind to them, they're doing okay, and so they've been lulled into thinking, well, because I'm doing okay, that means, I guess I'm doing okay. And they have not repented of their sin. But then verse 5 is so sobering. Verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Their lack of repentance reveals a hard and unrepentant heart. And this sin of theirs is earning them something. Well, what is it earning them? They're not storing up treasures in heaven. What are they storing up? Storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This would have been shocking to a religious Jewish person who's tried really hard to honor the God of the Bible by obeying the law. They would assume that God's wrath was not for them, but for others. It was for the pagan Gentiles, but here Paul is saying, no, it's also for you. I'm going to give you a preview of next week, but I just want a quick review. Here's where we've been. Number one, God is the holy, almighty, eternal creator on the throne and worthy of worship. That's where the gospel begins. Number two, we are sinners, all of us, accountable to God and unable to save ourselves. doesn't matter if you're religious or you're born into the right family, all of us deserving of the righteous judgment of God. Good and just, God is good and just, he cannot shrug his shoulders at sin. And so the third point today was this, God judges justly, pouring out his wrath on sinners. This is what all of us deserve. Here's the good news I want to leave you with. This is what all of us deserve, but this is not what all of us will get. Say it again. This is what all of us deserve, but this is not what all of us will get. There is one way in which sinners like us, unrighteous before God, can experience reward from God rather than wrath from God. It is through faith in Jesus. It's the only way, right? So this is just a preview of next week, but I don't want to assume everybody's going to be back next week, so I've got to give you a little preview. This passage was all about all sorts of foolish exchanges, exchanging the truth about God for a lie. Exchanging worship of the one true God for worshiping and serving created things. But scripture also tells us of a great exchange. And that great exchange is this. That all of our sin for which we deserve the the just righteous wrath of God. All of our sin has been laid on Jesus so that all who trust in him receive his righteousness. That's a great exchange. Our sin for His righteousness through the atoning work of Christ on the cross and in His resurrection. We're going to talk more about that next week. But if you are ready on this day, if you're convinced that you are a sinner before a holy God and you are deserving of His judgment and you... You have not put your faith in Jesus and have not experienced that great exchange of your sin for His righteousness. Please talk to me today. There's nothing more important that we could talk about. I'd love to talk to you about that. Many of us have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And so, when we hear of the judgment of God... We need to be reminded of this news that Paul will get to a little bit later in the letter. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All of us on our own stand condemned before a holy and righteous God. A God who, because He is good and because He is just, must judge sin and sinners. That's where all of us stand. But we stand in a new place because Jesus stands before the throne of God interceding for all of us. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is good news. That leads us to worship. That is good news that leads us to proclaim that to other people. That is good news that gives us hope to carry on in this world. Let's pray. God, would you today save a sinner who is being convicted of their sin, who maybe has been flirting around with sin like it's not all that big of a deal, and who has been confronted by the power of your Holy Spirit with the reality of their sin and the reality that their sin is deserving of your wrath and judgment. I pray that, that whoever that might be, ready to receive the free gift of salvation bought for us with the blood of Jesus, would have the courage to come before you and then share that with others today. And for those of us who have been saved from your wrath through faith in Jesus, would you help us to be astounded again at your great love and mercy. As we're going to sing right now, we believe that from you and through you and to you are all things. You are the one who deserves the glory forever and ever. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're able, please stand with us.